Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 138 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Today, I have very excited to introduce Danny and Catherine Mullaney. They met early in AA recovery as young adults. Over the last three decades, they've been living by the spiritual principles laid out in the 12 steps. Despite that, the addiction to sugar has been a thorn in their side throughout. Catherine has been addicted to sugar most of her life, been on many diets since she was eight years old, but until last year has never attempted to arrest the addiction. Danny has made attempts to abstain from flour and sugar, but has never been able to maintain long-term recovery in that area. Coming to terms with sugar being a psychoactive substance has enabled them both to yield their addiction to sugar the way the alcoholic must surrender the drink. Once again, these two have another reason to trust and rely upon their creator. Their life's motto is taken from the AA big book. The spiritual life is not a theory. You have to live it. In this leg of their ongoing recovery, their food plans differ, but their commitment to exquisite self-care holistically is the same. The Mullanies have been married for 33 years, have three adult children, and are currently awaiting the arrival of their sixth grandchild. Catherine is a poet and a farmer in training, formerly an educator, and Danny became an RN in sobriety and has entered his 25th year of nursing. So welcome, Danny and Catherine. So excited to have you on today to share your story with us. Thanks, Siobhan. Uh, I'll kick us off here. Yeah, let's start with, yeah, we'll start with Catherine. Um, I've never had a married couple. We were talking about that before we started recording and how um, I'm just so excited to have a married couple share their story. And we'll start, yeah, with you, Catherine, of just giving us a little bit of your, your struggles and, you know, your, your background story. So go ahead and kick it off. All right. I like to say I was a whiskey on the gums and my mother put sugar in our baby food. And I was a bottle-fed baby, and I'm told formula still has sugar in it to this day. (laughs) So it started pretty young. Um, But my first first diet, my mother put me on a diet at eight years old. I think I was in the second grade. And, um, And here's the thing. My mother's answer, the only love connection or point of love shown to me by my mother was if I was upset, milk and cookies or some ice cream, something sweet. And that was the answer. So I, uh, I did go from from sugar to nicotine at 10 years old, picked up a drink at 11 years old. Um, So I wasn't like too interested in the food, 
I didn't get um, sober until I was 19 years old. And um, yeah, I didn't do a lot of drugs. I mean, I did drugs here and there. Um, and I didn't pick up food right away. But when I got sober, I, I like to drink a lot of coffee, but it was like, it was like hot coffee ice cream, lots of cream and sugar, um, and smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> so that was my, you know, my outlet for addiction were nicotine and sugar. Um, but I was also an athlete and I didn't really like through my teen years and stuff, I really didn't struggle with my weight at all. Um, it wasn't until after we had our first kid, things happened pretty quickly. <laughs> um, we got married when I was two and a half years sober, I think something like that. Uh, no, three years sober, had my first baby at four years sober. And um, so I gained quite a bit of weight with our firstborn. And I went to, I did Jenny Craig and I was riding my bike a lot. I lost all the weight that I had gained and, you know, that kind of, that's just like a sample of many things that were to come. Our kids are, are very close together. We had three kids in three and a half years. Um, I probably gained the most weight with our middle. Um, and then I was like halfway to what I wanted to lose. And then I got pregnant again. <laughs> so after my son was three years old, he's the youngest, I no longer could say, well, this is baby fat. <laughs> I no longer had that excuse. And throughout the years, you know, made attempts to like go on a diet to lose weight. It had nothing to do with arresting an addiction. In fact, I had the food on a moral issue. It was like, and there was like beating myself up. Like, why can't you just have some self-control? Come on, you trust and rely upon God on this stuff. Why can't you just do this? And um, always had it on, I was guilty. And the guilt and shame was right there. And so, and then it got to a point probably like six years ago or so, or maybe a little more. Yeah, about six or so years ago. And I was like, you know what? I'm morbidly obese. That's what the doctor has written in my chart, morbidly obese. And that's just the way it's going to be. I, I'm active. I walk. I eat junk. I eat trash. <laughs> I don't take care of like my body the way it deserves to be taken care of. So, you know, I just like, I just gave up. I'm like, I'm not even trying anything. I'm just going to eat whatever. And here's the thing. It would probably be easier to name the joints that I did not have pain in. I had a lot of inflammation from the sugar. Um, I didn't like, I had fatty liver disease and my primary care, well, the primary care that first said, you know, you have fatty liver disease, you need to cut back on the alcohol. I'm sober. If you just have one drink, like a night, that's okay. 
but you got to really cut back because your liver's in trouble. I'm sober, like right over her head. The next um, primary care, same thing, almost exact same words. In fact, she was so concerned about my numbers for my liver that she had me get an ultrasound of my liver. But that was it. Don't drink. Haven't drank for over 25 years at that point. I was like, you know, it was like talking to a brick wall. So um, I also, the like two years ago, I was diagnosed with bursitis in both my knees and my shoulder. Um, that's totally cleared up. Um, and, you know, I was just... I was like busting out of my skin, basically. And I'm, I'm all of the stature of five foot two. <laughs> so <clears throat> Dan, it actually became friends with Dave before they launched uh, Sugar X. And so we started going to his Thursday night, meet, um, Thursday afternoon meeting that was free. And on Zoom, he started it during the pandemic. So shortly after the pandemic started, I started going to that meeting and our daughter went to that meeting. And when my mom died and she was at our house, she saw Dave's book on the shelf and she said, can I borrow that? I'm like, of course. <laughs> and so she got clean that summer um, summer of 2020 and, um, you know, was going to that meeting. And then March of, um, March of 2021, our daughter shared her story on that Thursday meeting and Dan and I were both in it and we were <laughs> both reduced to tears. And even though I'm like hearing this from our oldest, I'm just like, I felt hopeless. Like I, I'm not going to get it. And then I went to the first launch of Sugar X, the first five day crush your cravings and first day, nothing. Plus we were packing to move <laughs> that week. We moved the, the following week. So day two comes. I cannot attribute it to anything less than a miracle that I just didn't pick up my drug foods that day. And um, and the following day and the following, and it's been 11 months. So um, I think that you know, I think Dave mentioned to you that I got involved in helping out with Sugar Axe. And so I'm, I'm their tech assistant and just started going to a lot of meetings. Um, I went through their RA 2.0 program. And out of that program, out of our group, we actually, um, a number of us became uh like really important support to one another. And it's like having a small group, small C community within the larger community. And I think that's really essential. Um, also just cultivating relationships, which has always been the, 
the fellowship that I was a part of before at leading into getting cleaning my food, adult children of alcoholics, I got a lot of healing there as far as um, just cultivating a lot of, lot more gratitude, but also learning how to treat myself like really that, that negative self-talk, like put it down. I mean, everything but the food, the food and the fat, I was really gentle, learning to be gentle with myself, kind to myself, which made me a kinder and gentler person to everyone around me. And so that gratitude and my gratitude is not thrown into a vacuum. Um, it's an expression to my creator for the gifts I've been given. So um, that's really essential to my recovery. It has been on and off throughout the years. The first like two or three years that I was sober when I was a young adult, I like wrote a gratitude list every night. And so I have like started doing that. And the, the other practice, well, I have a couple, I'll tell you two more practices. So Dan can jump in here. The other practice is affirmations. And I do both look, I do mirror work, look in the mirror and tell myself that I love, approve and accept myself every single day. And that I am worthy of love, connection, belonging, and intimacy, looking myself in the mirror. And then I have a smaller, another small group. Uh, there's three of us from Sugar X, and we share affirmations on uh, a WhatsApp group together. Uh, the other thing that I have been doing, we moved to a farm and I have been doing my best to get out for sunrise and sunset every day, regardless of what the thermometer says, because <laughs> we live in New England and it can be cold. So um, I'm really grateful to be here and grateful that Dan and I are, are doing it together. And he like, well, we'll segue into him, but in his last abstinence, he really wanted me to join him. And in fact, he broke his foot and I had to make him, he, no weight bearing. I had to make him three abstinent meals a day for over six weeks. <laughs> Did I eat that stuff? No. <laughs> no. You would think that would have been the perfect opportunity, but you weren't ready. Like so much of it. I love your story so much. Thank you, first of all, for sharing all of that. And as a mom of an eight-year-old, I can't even imagine putting an eight-year-old on a diet at age eight. And I think so many people can resonate with your story of just that was the way you connected with your mom, you know, something sweet. Um, and then turning to the nicotine and drinking and sober at 19 years old too, where some people are just starting their drinking, you know, experience, right. Yeah. And yes. then going to the nicotine and then, and then the sugar and just feeling like, yeah, like I, I also resonate with that. Of, yep. I just give up. Like, this is just how it's going to be for me. There's nothing I can do about it. But, you know, then it's just so interesting how all the puzzle pieces come together, you know, 
And then mm-hmm. for some reason that day too, and, and so everyone knows when she's talking about Dave, we're talking about Dave Wolf that's been on the podcast before, one of the founders of Sugar X, along with his mom, Judy, and also Anna Freeling all have been on the podcast um, and they were big supporters here of, of Sugar X and that community. So doing that five day crush your cravings challenge and then that day two miracle that you said, no idea why it clicked, but it did, you didn't pick up your drug food. And then the next day you didn't do it. You know, even though you had this opportunity of Danny Prime probably being like, look, we're addicts. Like this is working. Try this food plan with me. You know, it's even though you're making it for him, it wasn't the right time. Hearing your daughter, seeing her success, you know, mm-hmm. and probably being yeah really moved and related to a lot of her story. Even that wasn't quite it. it. It's just interesting to me. And I think that's such a good example of us all being gentle with ourselves because it comes together at the right time. And sometimes it takes a little bit of even hearing the same information over and over. I know that was Mm -hmm. my experience until it all kind of clicked together. So I also want to say congratulations on 11 months. That's just incredible. And I have some follow-up questions, but I do want to hear Danny's story as well. And then I'm going to probably ask a question and have you both answer it, which I think would be kind of fun to hear both of your perspectives. So come on on, Danny, and tell us now that we've heard Catherine's powerful story. Tell us a little bit about your own personal, like your background story, basically. Okay, so I was there with the day she got married. Uh, <laughs> and um, we were both going to meetings together and uh, we had developed a friendship before going to commitments in AA and sharing our stories. And we were just really good friends. And then we ended up more than friends and we got married and, you know, I have to say what I've learned in the last year or so is that I have to admit sugar was probably my first addiction. Okay, I remember finding a dollar and I went down to the store about a mile away. I walked all the way and I got, um, I think it was a hundred because they were penny the uh, mint juleps. And uh, I brought those home and (laughs) I think I had like 20, 25 of them on the way home until I felt so sick. And, uh, you know, I think I was probably five or six years old, you know, and back then you would let five and six year olds walk down the street. But um, thinking, I remember that. And I just remember how much I loved things like that and donuts and all kinds of ice cream, everything sweet. I loved it. And it was considered a treat. And so I wanted treats all the time, you know, and, um, you know, when I got sober, I can remember we used to go out to Hojo's and uh, Howard Johnson's and after the meetings and everybody get ice cream, you know? And I can remember, I had to go to the bathroom. I remember going to the bathroom, I was by myself. And I knew then, okay, I'm sitting, I'm standing there going, oh God, please don't let food be a problem too. Cause I kind of already knew it was. I knew there was like, I think about the, uh, there's a far side cartoon of these uh, gorillas sitting under a tree. And one of them's like, you know, Hal, I love bananas. I mean, heck, we're gorillas. I'm supposed to love bananas. But with me, it's different. I really love bananas. And, and it's like I knew there was a difference with me with the food. It was almost like an affair. It was like a thing. And I was sneaky about my eating, you know. And then when we had the kids and life happens and just life is just so not easy. You know, it's like that book what life is difficult. Life is a task. And there really is a lot of difficulty. And I really feel like I got some comfort from eating. 
And, um, you know, I was not, I was way done with the comfort I was getting from eating before I stopped. I couldn't stop, you know, but about 25, 20 something years sober, I, uh, I got abstinent and I went to a very strict uh, offshoot of OA that was very strict on stringent on the meals and the ways and measures and three meals a day and nothing in between. And, and I, I think I was slightly traumatized by the whole thing that it was very, very strict. And um, it, I really feel like it has affected my recovery today because I'm like anxious and nervous when people start talking about meal plans or <clears throat> weighing and measuring, I get almost like trauma inside because um, there were times, you know, in the beginning when people say, well, you need to start over. You need to start your day, day one again and all this stuff. Like, like it was how many days you could get was more important than actually self-care, you know? And so, but I stayed abstinent for probably over two years. And I, I guess what happened at that, when it, hindsight, looking back, I think I got the food under control and I got off the flour and sugar and I was, and I enjoyed that, but I was still, I hadn't dealt with what was, what had drawn me to it in the first place, you know? And, and again, I have, you know, I was 20, 25 years clean and sober and my life was wonderful in many ways. Three kids, now they're growing and they're almost gone. And, you know, I have a wife who loves me, a job I actually love. So there's a lot of good things in my life, but I still felt a level of despair inside. And it was because I knew that in some way I was still kind of a slave to something. And it was the, the flour and sugar. And you know what? I'm going to give up sugar, but not flour. All right, maybe I'll just give up flour because sugar isn't really a big deal for me. I'll just stop the flour. And then, you know, maybe it is the sugar. I'll stop the sugar. <laughs> I didn't want to give them both up, you know, but I really struggled a lot with that. And um, I had known Dave from other things and um, he invited me a couple of times. And so I went a few times and um, I really wanted to be absent. And I kind of, at this point now, because I had lost that sobriety, it was very subtle. You know, it started with, well, maybe I'll just do this. Maybe I'll just have a little of that. And before you know it, I was eating flour and sugar again. And now it, that was like, that was about 10 years ago that this happened. And uh, so now being almost about a year now, almost a year of abstinence from flour and sugar. And um, it's been uh, different this time. And I really think a lot of it has to do with the community. I feel very uh, a gentle, loving community of people to come alongside and support me and encourage me and be and feel a part of. It's very, very different <clears throat> than the stringency I would I had before where they were telling me, well, you need to go to this many meetings a week. If you don't go to this many meetings, then I will not sponsor you. And if you don't do this, and I, I just couldn't, it was like traumatizing. And these people are just so loving and supportive. And um, so I really appreciate that. And it's really helping a lot, you know, as far as my abstinence goes. And I still have so much to learn uh, about myself that I'm kind of just putting off. Like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But I'm going through the steps again with some people and I'm going there. And it's funny, I don't want to connect it. I'm going there now. We're in the midst of doing like a step four inventory together as a group. And um, I'm like, no, my wanting to eat right now, overeat, has nothing to do with what I'm doing in my inventory. <laughs> I think it does, Dan. I don't really see the connection, but I'm like almost like going, okay, I think logically there probably is one, you know? <clears throat> but um, so 
with that, I, I, I skipped over a lot of details, but that's okay. Uh, suffice it to say, though, you know, I've lived, you know, now with 36 years, you know, clean and sober from drugs and alcohol and being abstinent again, um, our life is, is getting so much, so much more clarity. And uh, definitely a lot of my aches and pains have gone away uh, from stopping the flour and sugar. And um, I still have some because I still have a lot of excess weight that I want to get rid of. Uh, one day at a time, you know, and um, <clears throat> so I still have a lot to learn about. And I, again, I think the reason I, I I don't have an official meal plan still, and I think it a lot of it is because of that trauma. I'm scared, you know, and I, I have a couple of people that are willing to be of service and help me. And and I called someone yesterday and they had some good advice for me and I've already forgot it because that's, <laughs> that's how powerful this thing is, you know, <laughs> like I got to call them back and say, can you tell me again what you said yesterday? <laughs> and be humble enough to listen to him, you know? And um, so <clears throat> one of the things that came up, I was thinking I wanted to share though, was that um, being a couple and being in recovery together all these years has been such a, a privilege to have a, uh, a wife on the same path, you know, that, that same walk of uh, what's the answer to our trouble? Well, we kind of both know taking it through the process of the steps is the answer to our it's like the spiritual path God has given us is these 12 steps of recovery. This is what works for us. And um, I wanted to just say something like when you, when we're in the food, okay? When, when I was in the food and she was in the food, her being in the food was her stuff being in the food. My being in the food was my stuff being in the food. And the conning and manipulative and things that I would do, like go into the, I'm going to the store. Do you want something? Because I wanted something. Yeah, could you get me this? And, you know, there's a lot of amends and stuff to be made between us. There's a lot of heartbreak about, um, yes, I did this because, you know, and I contributed to your addiction by bringing these things into the house in a, in a way where it was like, I don't want to go out, but I'll go out for you. And then I get my own stuff, you know, and, and uh, stuff like that. So there's, all, there's, some, there's some hurts there, you know, there's stuff to uh, work through in the marriage about actually being of harm to one another, as opposed to being a blessing to each other, you know? And um, so I'm seeing my wife shake her head there too. <laughs> yeah, that's so. really interesting to me because I'm sure there's good and bad things here of going through this as a married couple. And like, even just having that experience of AA and the 12 steps together, you have that common language. But then to realize, yeah, you were probably enabling each other. And especially when you like, associate food with love you know as Catherine was sharing that was how she was kind of shown love so sometimes we just that's how then we treat each other not realizing of course that wasn't your intention was to cause harm but yeah that that both happened but then to be able to talk about that now and reflect back on that must be so amazing and then be able again to share that language of being like oh wow yeah that's what we used to do but now we can do it differently and you're doing it together which I just think is so amazing because I know so many people feel like they're so alone in this. So it's probably nice having that partner right with you getting it, you know, and knowing kind of how hard, even though your paths are very different too. And like you said, you know, your food plans might look different. Um, so yeah, I, I can, I just think that's amazing to think about you do to doing this together, but yeah, the times that it's actually probably been really challenging too, because you probably were triggering each other's addictions, right? So yeah, that's like a whole other level <laughs> of complication. Um, 
But yeah, is there anything else? I have some questions follow up, Danny, but was there anything else that you wanted to share before I go on? I don't want to like cut you off because I'm loving your story. And thank you so much for your vulnerability here of like, yeah, I still don't have this figured out. Like, I just really appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, I do wish I was a little, uh, I'm watching her and funny, I, I find myself getting envious and how come she's doing so well? And, you know, and I know, like even in the midst of it, I know that some I still am giving into some overeating with abstinent food. And so it's like, I'm feeling not a lot of shame about that, which is thank God, because that was one of my things. I would shame myself. Like it was definitely a moral issue. What is wrong with you? Look at you. You know, <clears throat> you're 30 something years sober and you can't even control what you put in your mouth. What? Why don't you just die? You're just mm-hmm. a waste. You, you, your recovery is horrible. You don't even deserve to live. It really was that level of shaming about the fact that I could, couldn't control what I was putting in my mouth. And I didn't make a connection to addiction, that this is an addiction that kind of like, you know, I always think about that um, Matt Damon in the um, Goodwill Hunting, you know, when he's in the office with uh, Robin Williams and he says, you know, it's not your fault. And, you know, it's not your fault. And he's like, stop it. He keeps saying it until he stops bawling his eyes out. And like, I have to come to realize it wasn't my fault. I was addicted my whole life to sugar. And I've been trying on my own strength to overcome it. And I just don't have what it takes. But I have people in my life now, and I'm not alone anymore. And I do rely on others and my God to overcome it. <clears throat> do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. what's changed? Well, it's the people and and God in my life to like no more self-reliance. I, I acknowledge I don't have what it takes. Step one, you know, I'm powerless. And by doing that, all of a sudden, somehow I have the power to go one day at a time. So I'll stop there. Well, and it is, it's a, like you said in your, you know, intro, it's a psychoactive active substance, you know, and it's the way our brains are wired. You know, some people can have a drink or a little bit of sugar and it just doesn't light up their reward center. Like it's fireworks for, for us. Right. You know, so it is so hard, but there's so much guilt and shame. And I'm so glad you both address that. Cause I'm sure people are listening. I'm sure people are in tears listening, just how much it resonates with them. And they're probably doing that exact conversation with themselves today, just now, you know, so it's just so awful. We've all been there. Um, and it's just when surrendering to that, it's not, yeah, it's not our fault. It's really just the way you can't willpower your way out of this. The other thing that I think is so interesting, Danny, about your story is the trauma that you experienced when you did try to get help, right? Like this is what's so frustrating to me. And I feel like it's getting better now because there's so much more awareness and resources out there. But I like spent all this money and time thinking I was a, um, a binge eater. So I did all this on therapy and the, and, and the treatment is moderation. So it was never going to work for an addict, you know, like I like, like, well, that was whatever, how many years wasted, but it makes me so sad for that person knowing something was wrong, trying to get help, but can't get the help, you know, like Catherine going to the doctor and like, it's the, you know, with her fatty liver and they're like, stop drinking. She's like, I have, you know, for years, like you're not listening, you're going to, and like, they're not telling you, you know, the things that you need to hear. And so here, Danny, you are like, oh, well, AA worked really well for me. 12 steps, like that should be an easy transition for me. 
but it just wasn't the right group, right? And you're still dealing with the aftermath of that. So I just, for anyone listening that has maybe tried with a group that wasn't a good fit, there should be no feeling shame, guilt at all. It should be what Catherine and Danny are both describing now that they're feeling with their Sugar X group, really this gentle, loving community that's supportive and that you feel connected because that's what all addictions, it says, you know, really the antidote is connection. But if you're feeling like, you know, I don't know, I don't do it well when someone's screaming at me and that's what it kind of feels like in some of these groups, that's just not motivating for me, you know? Mm. And you think about like, if you were trying to help your daughter or one of your kids, like you would never talk to them like that, you know? And, and same with the way we talk to ourselves. I have to remind myself of that too. Like talk to myself, like I would a friend, you know, I, I'm much more compassionate with other people than I am with myself. Um, but yeah, I, I just want people listening. If they have tried before, it, it was probably the group. It wasn't you, you know, you, you, there's so many more resources out there. Keep trying and mm. finding that group that you do really feel supported. Cause that's so, so important, I think, and critical. And, um, Catherine, thank you for sharing about your gratitude practice with the affirmations. I do this too, but I don't do them in the mirror. I'm like, Oh, I got to take that up a notch. You know, I love that. And then the sunrise, seeing the sunrise and sunset every day. I want to hear more of that stuff too. Like, so mm. I don't know, Danny, if there's anything else that you have found as kind of tools, because I feel like getting off the sugar and flour is just a tiny part of this, right? There's so By much. the beginning. Then, yeah. So much more there then. And that's Danny. It sounds like you're still like going to be, you're uncovering still and you will, and you will find your way. And we cannot compare ourselves to anyone else. Right. And that has to be hard when you're living together, kind of comparing, but you can't do that because our journeys are all so different. And the way to do this is so different. I don't like when people say you've got to do it this way because you've got to find the way that works for you. If you want it to be sustainable for you. Right. So you can't do Catherine's way. You got to do your own way. But what other things like are you finding as you dig into more of that inner work um, that really helps besides the gratitude, the affirmations, um, you know, the group sugar X support? Are there other kind of things that you have found helpful that might, you know, resonate with people listening? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things for me is that I like used my fat on my body as protection. And that wasn't like, that wasn't my why for getting clean. Like it wasn't, I need to lose X amount of pounds. And so I'm going to do this. It was my mother died of Alzheimer's. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's. And there is research out there that says that they're calling it type three diabetes for Alzheimer's. So um, the hugest difference is the clarity of mind. That's like my number one is clarity of mind. I have not gotten on the scale since July, the end of July. I have no idea how much I weigh or how much I've lost, but I've had to buy a lot of new clothes. <laughs> I'm laughing Catherine, um, because that's me. I don't believe in weighing myself. I haven't weighed myself in over yeah. seven years. I have no idea how much I lost, but same thing. I know because yeah. I had to go through clothes sizes, but so it's this know. body. Yeah. This body thing. So I have probably dissociated from my body. Most of my life, I have childhood trauma. 
I grew up in an alcoholic home. And so I've like started, I'm actually in the middle of, of a class of somatic experience. And it's actually, um, can I say the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Irene Lyons, 21 day tune up and it's learning how to regulate, regulate your nervous system. Mm. And so doing that and doing what she calls reorientation. So not only am I out at sunset, but I'm paying attention to my breathing. I'm paying, if I'm standing, like I will stand still for the sunrise if the temperature is right. Otherwise I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving my body. I'm well clothed, but I'm also moving. Um, But if I'm standing and then slowing down enough to like feel the weight of my body against the ground and listen to the birds and whatever else I might hear. I might, we live very close to train tracks. Sometimes I might hear the train and be in touch with all three, my physical body, my breath in my body and my environment. And so this reorientation and And before I even started the class, I was doing the sunrise and sunset and, um, and sometimes I would like take off my socks and shoes and yes, I've done it in the snow. And one time I did it in the snow and there was ice under there and the heat from my feet melted the snow and I found myself standing on ice. It was very, very cold, but, um, it's that taking care, taking exquisite care of my body and actually getting to know my body and no longer, like, I feel like I have a long way to go there, but no longer like living in my head. I, and our feelings are in our bodies. And I like hated dealing with my feelings. I still don't. Dan will tell you, I will start a sentence with, I think, Dan will start a sentence with, I feel. Um, We are very, very different people. And so I would stuff my feelings, you know, whether they mad, glad, bad, happy, it didn't matter. I would stuff my feelings with food. And um, now I'm learning to feel my feelings. And I think that is so key. I think that I think it's very common across a lot of addicts that we're afraid of our feelings. Oh, I'm just like wanting to jump up and down. <laughs> so, so true. And that's why I don't know much what you know about my story, but I use emotion code and that's why I got certified in the emotion code, which is the way to clear those trapped feelings. Because yeah, I had all these uncomfortable feelings. That's what happens. Most of us are eating to numb. And then all of a mm. sudden you were like, oh, I don't want to feel this. This is uncomfortable. I don't let you know. And I still four years later, you know, have to address that a lot after a lifetime of not wanting to feel them. And most yep. of us as kids aren't given those tools and resources to do that. So I'm so glad that you said that. And you know, learning how to regulate your nervous system. That sounds like an amazing program. So that's something that, yeah, you have to tackle this inner work then. And that I like the word you use, like the exquisite self-care. 
you know, mm-hmm. not just like, you gotta like take it up a notch, you know? So that all is amazing. It sounds like you have some really good practices in place. Um, and I love hearing too, that like the clarity of mind is really what's been one of the biggest benefits for you. And I want to get back to the benefits, but I want to ask Danny, if there's anything he wants to add there of kind of that inner work process that maybe is yeah. working for you. So, yeah. So um, the question itself was a little, um, intimidating to me because I feel there's so much I'm not doing to help myself and it goes to deep levels of uh, dissociation from my own body and um, the disconnect like not understanding that doing my fourth step inventory is what's causing me to want to eat more like I don't see the connection and I'm really disconnected a lot from my own body and so I have to admit in humility that I am really lapsed on I, I feel like there's more I could be doing like this I have a list of things I'd like to do like getting up in the morning and doing some reading and writing and I said I a couple of weeks ago I said I'm going to do this and I did it every day for about five or six days and now I haven't done it for about five or six days like you know what I'm saying so it's like a struggle and I want to be gentle with myself but um one of the things I learned uh, also from uh being in uh, ACA was self-love that um I need to learn how to love and care for myself. And I feel like I made this connection somehow my higher power helped me to see how I eat is connected to how I care about myself. That to love myself is to nourish myself with good things. And oh, you know, it's like, and so I, I, I want to try to remember that. And like you said, there's a word that I, I, I don't, I'm sure I didn't invent this word, but I like it because it speaks to the whole thing, the, the numbing, and the comfort from the food, I call it numfort, mm. you know, that feeling. And I think a, a lot of addicts know that. And the reality is it doesn't really work. It, it just delays something and it gets worse. And, but I learned, do this, you'll feel better. And so I'm, re, I'm unlearning that, you know. Um, so I do try to talk to people. And I know humility to me is one of the key ingredients is to be humble that I don't have what it takes to overcome this and acknowledging that. And, and amazingly enough, I forget to, to talk to my higher power and say, could you please remove my desire for flour and sugar and overeating? Please remove my desire for flour, sugar and overeating. Like I can say that every day. And when I do that, it works. And so I think that the addicted mind tricks me into stopping the asking because it wants to get back in there, you know? And it's like, I do. I feel like I look at the disease of addiction like a like an entity, you know, <laughs> it doesn't like me and it just wants me miserable and um, that I have to combat somehow that with a power greater than it. And I totally. don't have it. And it's own. looking for its openings. Like I really, I feel that even four years later, it's like dormant for a little bit, but any kind of stress I go over, it's like, hi. You want some food? Like, like what? Like, I haven't thought about this in months. Like, where is this coming from? So yeah, it is. I like thinking it of an, as a separate entity that you've really just have to be aware of. That used to feel very overwhelming to me, but now I've just kind of made peace with it. Like, this is just part of me. And I just got to kind of like put it back to sleep, you know, when it does kind of rear its ugly head and it's putting together these tools that work. And I love your humility here because I think so many people relate to that disassociation with their body, like, oh, a hundred percent. And it's really hard to associate, like get comfortable 
in our bodies for most of us after being uncomfortable for so long. And even doing that affirmation, like I love, and I do the same thing, Catherine, similar. I love and accept myself exactly as I am. Oh, I still say that every day and now I mean it, but in the beginning I had to fake it till I made, you know, like it was like, I'm not feeling that at all, but I had to kind of change the way that I was thinking. So yeah. And, and yeah. Danny, I just think there's so many different ways. And I love that you're not beating yourself up. You're being gentle with yourself because you will get there for me, just so you know, I mean, you guys are almost at a year. I, it took me like, I, I, I think it was a little after a year, my one year that I discovered emotion code and really started on that part, you know? So I think we're all on different timelines and that's where it's so hard to compare. It will come to you at the right time and you're figuring out the things that work for you and, you know, making sure that you're talking to that higher power and saying, I need this help. And he's probably like, well, Danny, I told, you know, I sent you that notebook to write in. <laughs> you need to keep writing in that notebook or, you know, whatever, but it's kind of experimenting and seeing what really sticks and what really works and practicing. That's the hard thing. It's like, we have to keep practicing it until it becomes more of a habit and just replacing some of those behaviors with new behaviors, you know, and that's where I think another big part of this journey is finding joy that's not from food. Because like when I took out, I'm like, I don't even know what I like to do. Like, I have no idea what brings me joy. That's like, I went to food for everything. So it's really a rediscovering of yourself as a person too. And I just don't think there should be any timeline on that or any way mm. that that's going to look because it's just a different process for all of us. So what about like, we're running out of time, but I'm going to go a little bit long because this is just so, so good. I want to hear from both of you, what some of your biggest benefits, you've kind of alluded a little bit, but maybe like your biggest benefits have been just being 11 months now, sugar and flour free. So <laughs> this well, I'll is go first because she's got little little girl with her there. Hi, yes. Eva. This is Eva. You've got so, Eva joining us there. It looks like a granddaughter. Hi, Eva. All right. Where's so, my so let's tell us maybe what your um Danny, what your kind of side, like the biggest benefits that you're seeing so far. Yeah. I would say the, the clarity of mind that um I have much more of a I feel like um Hold on one second. I feel like uh, my ability to, I'm much clearer in my thought process. And you know, it's funny, I don't want to admit it, but all my workers are like, Dan, you, you, you just seem more with it. You, like I was so lethargic, let's say, when I was um, in the food. I was very lethargic, didn't want to, you know, it's kind of like, mailing it in, do you know what I'm saying? And I don't like that because then I would feel ashamed that I wasn't really doing my best. And then I, I would eat about that to feel better. And then it was, you know, it was a vicious circle. And um, so I am just a better, I'm just much more alert and attuned to things. Um, that's definitely one of the biggest benefits. And I mean, the weight loss is certainly a huge benefit as far as feeling physically better, but mentally and emotionally, I, I can't believe that I have no cravings for, for flour and sugar. It's very, very rare that I think of it. And now if I do, it's just like, I retract like a moth to a hot flame. I'm like, no, I don't want that in my life anymore. And that's a miracle because I couldn't go a day. And it's funny how there was, when I was eating whatever the heck I wanted, I felt like a slave. And now that I restrict what I want, I feel free. That's kind of a weird thing, you know? 
But I wanted to say one thing about moderation that you said. <laughs> My friend Jack said once at the meeting, he said, moderation for an addict is something that I catch a glimpse of as I go careening from one extreme to the other. <laughs> exactly. And I, I could really relate to that. I love that. And I love that coworkers noticed, you know, it's like, wow, like that really is showing. Yeah. And, and that to me is my number one too, is just the mental clarity. So I totally, fully appreciate that. What about you, Catherine? What are some more of your, I know you men mentioned the mental clarity as well and less pain. Yeah, un unbelievable. Um, because probably about 10 years ago, I've always had a pretty sharp memory. And about 10 years ago, and a friend of mine called it the steel trap. Well, the steel trap started springing some significant leaks and I've had so much restoration and I have great recall. Um, that was one of our adopted grandkids. Um, we actually, I don't think we could be living the way we're living. So we moved on a farm and we actually live with a young family. And so that was little Eva and she's not quite five and She's got Mr. Dan over there wrapped around his little finger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to be able to um, live with other people. I mean, we've done that. We like we were an empty nest for about uh, a New York City minute empty nesters. We've had people live with us. But to do the kind of living, communal living we're doing now, that is like, one of the hugest benefits of just being able to live in cooperation because it's, you know, when I was in the food, it's like, forget about everybody else. You know, it's just the isolation. That's one of the things that I wanted to talk about. The isolation is so disheartening, but it's also deadly that's where the disease just um, takes over. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, Siobhan, about connection is the answer. So the Irene Lyons um, class I'm doing, I'm doing it with another fellow addict. Um, the step work that I'm doing, um, that Dan mentioned, I'm doing that. I'm working with other people, you know, either one-on-one -on -one or three or four of us together. It's like really important to have the perspective of others, because if I'm just seeing it, then I'm going to miss stuff. I have blind spots. And so I need other people to come alongside and say, hey, Catherine, what about this? And I, oh, yeah, what about, <laughs> right. And you have something just nailed on the head, like the looking at resentment and in step four of the 12 steps, looking at resentment is like, I don't want that to be able to, to write through. And because I've had all these decades of practice, it doesn't mean I'm done. I still, they still come up, but I know what to do with them. 
and I'm able to even have other people like share mine and them ask me, well, is that really where you were self selfish when I was looking at my part? Because I, I just, I just need other people. Um, and, and that's something you that. might not be able to realize when you're in it too. Exactly. Even being able to look at outside people for help. So that really, to me, is why first step is getting off that sugar and flour, you know, really, because it does change the way your mind works. And then being able to be open and receptive to that help and outside perception without getting completely defensive, you know, it's just like, you have to be exactly. in a place where you can welcome that. So, well, I do need to wrap this up, but I've already decided we're going to do a part two and have you back on next season to, to do a follow-up and see where you are then too. Like keep checking in with you on your journey. Um, but let us like, just to end this, because you've given us so much good information. So thank you for sharing this, but is there anything that we maybe didn't get to cover that you did really want to talk about today or just last words of wisdom for people that are listening and maybe really struggling right now that maybe you wish someone had told you at the beginning of your journey. Yeah, I, I think the, the moral issue, what happened like in that first week is I was be able to declare myself not guilty. Like Dan was referring to the Goodwill hunting it's not your fault, not guilty, like to allow yourself, anybody who's listening, just give yourself a chance. It is like, like you said, it is complete abstinence from the drug foods. That is how it begins. That's the beginning. The moderation doesn't work. The flipping, you know, I'm not going to eat this and I'll eat that. Um, that doesn't work. And like Dan said, the cravings will subside. The physical cravings doesn't mean you don't think about it, but the physical cravings will subside. You will have freedom if you give yourself a chance. Love that. And what about you, Danny? I would say um, to, well, when we put down the drug food, um, we're left with now what? And it's really scary when you come from like trauma in childhood. And maybe even if you don't, I don't know, but I had some. And so I don't, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have any life skills of what to do. And one of the problems was um, being compulsively self-reliant and learning how to ask for help and to, and to take it, not just ask, but then to take what other people have to say and receive it. And like, so a, a posture of humility is a key to recovery. And um, I don't go and ask the guy at the pizza shop how to eat better. There are a lot of people that I can ask how to eat better and they know how to help me. And actually they're really eager to be of service and help. And I think that there are some places that can cause some trauma in that. And so, but like, like you were saying, I would say echo with you, keep looking because there are good people out there who will be gentle and loving and that um, it is worth it and you are worth it. That's, that would be what I say. 
Oh, I love it. Thank you both so much um, for your time today, for your openness and vulnerability. I just think it's going to resonate with so many people. And I can't wait to have you back on next season so we can do a follow-up and dig in a little more deep because I have more questions that we just didn't get to. So we're going we're gonna to dig in a little bit more. Um, but thank you again so much for today. Thanks, Siobhan. Great to be with you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar. Thank you.